Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, an update on Minnesota's travel and tourism industry during the pandemic. Helping Hands Minnesota is working to meet demand for those in need of food statewide. And an update on the impact of COVID-19 on college sports from Gopher basketball coach Richard Patino. But first... It's back to school time in Minnesota, and parents, students, and teachers are bracing for the unknown amid COVID-19. I spoke with Minnesota Education Commissioner Mary Catherine Ricker about distance learning, closing achievement gaps, and the challenges of keeping everyone safe during the pandemic. My main message to parents and families heading into this school year is that we have absolutely focused on the safety and health of your students in their learning conditions this year. And we are going to make sure that we meet your academic needs of your child as well as the social emotional needs of your child in that safe and healthy and welcoming environment, um, no matter what safe learning model you start the school year with. Obviously, COVID-19 has presented some unprecedented challenges heading back into school. I'm curious, can you give me a sense of what some of the biggest challenges are that you've been facing in getting ready for fall? Mm-hmm. Well, I know that, you know, this June, when we asked our school communities to prepare for all three learning scenarios, um, we ha- anticipated that this school year, they would, in fact, probably need all three learning scenarios at some point in the school year. Uh, what we didn't know then was the way the virus would be behaving in our communities, uh, which is why in July we took the approach, that localized approach, so that they would have county-level data, uh, so that they would feel like they were prepared for all three learning models, and based on that county-level data, they were actually prepared to, to switch learning models when the conditions were appropriate for it. So, Commissioner, tell me if we have parents out there who obviously are going to be concerned about their kids' safety as they return to school, what kinds of things should they be watching for in terms of of health? I mean, uh, we know we're heading into flu season. There's much more than COVID Mm -hmm. that would be going around as kids get ready to go back to school. What's the protocol? Right. Well, we are certainly in every situation, and certainly in our schools, we're asking anyone who feels uh, like they are ill to, to not attend school. That's our, actually our students, that's our staff. Um, and of course, we're asking that uh, across communities um, and businesses in the state of Minnesota. So that would, I would say, is our first protocol. Um, the next protocol is to pay attention to those symptoms that you have. It's one of the reasons we're working very closely with the Department of Health to make sure that we are educating our school communities on what they should be looking for and um, and how you know and and how to um, get a test if you think you need a test, um, as well as how to keep our school community safe. And those are some of the routines our schools will be building into their back to school uh, rituals this this fall. 
Another concern that I know parents have, and I'm a parent myself with kids in, in uh, high school, so I have this concern myself, oh, is, uh, it, you know, the idea that in some ways our students are going to be not quite getting as good of an education as they could as a result of distance learning. Is there anything that you can say to reassure parents that that's not the case? Absolutely. We have been working so hard on um, on exactly that. You know, of all of the variables in this school year and all of the uncertainty we are certainly facing because of, um, you know, because of this pandemic, one of the things that is constant for me and that I uh, am stressing is a constant for our school communities that are those strong teaching and learning conditions that our, you know, our academic standards still exist, and we have a responsibility to teach to them and to measure our students' learning and then to share that measurement with our students and with their families so that they can see that during this pandemic, um, we, we are remaining constant to those high-quality teaching and learning conditions while we're also meeting um, the health needs of our students and keeping a, a safe environment for them as well. It's difficult enough to try to keep a, a handle on uh, all of these things short term, but I'm curious if, yeah. if it, what kind of consideration has been given to the long term in terms of the impact that distance learning might be mm -hmm. having on this generation of students. Absolutely. This is a conversation we have just about every day in, in different formats, right? The idea that we have immediate decisions to make right now to meet the needs of our students during this pandemic and and looking ahead to the sort of decisions we make to not only support our students in the future but to actually help them thrive and the sort of conditions that need to exist i would say one of the things we will pull from this experience is that holistic approach we have been creating throughout this pandemic of meeting the needs of our students uh, academically as well as socially emotionally as well as their health needs of students pulling that holistic approach to meeting the needs of students forward will also help support them as they uh, as as we leave this pandemic because we become successful at fighting this virus and yet our students need to accelerate they need to whether they need to catch up uh, whether they need to revisit some of um, some of their work, that holistic approach is actually going to help continue supporting our students um, throughout their school experience. We're just about out of time here, Commissioner, but I wanted to give you an opportunity. Uh, you spoke a little bit with families at the beginning of the conversation here, but I wanted to give you an opportunity yeah. to speak directly to our students as they get ready to head back into school. What's your message to those kids? Oh, thank you so much for letting me do that. Um, I know our, our students are experiencing something that um, none of the adults in their lives have experienced. And um, as a result, uh, the adults in their lives absolutely have um, your best interests at heart. And we are making decisions to keep you safe, to keep you healthy, and to keep you on a path to success. And those decisions are going to be um, constant to us. They are going to be critically important to us. And your experience right now is important to us as well. And so all of the ways 
that you are experiencing school, experiencing life. We want to be able to support you. We want to be able to meet your needs. And above all else, we want you to know that you are not alone in this struggle. And and we are going to be there for you throughout this pandemic and this experience and help you thrive. Well said, Commissioner. If parents want a resource out there, if they've got questions that are still unanswered, uh, is there a one-stop shop or do they just need to go to their own uh, district's websites or where would you direct them? Right. I would always welcome any family member to go to their district's uh, website, call up their local school. We do have an expectation across the state that our districts are communicating with families. Um, and so that is, um, that's incredibly important. However, if they would also like to be in touch with the Department of Education, they can visit our website, um, which is education.mn.gov, and, um, or they can email a question to us at covid-19.questions.mde at state. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Department of Education Commissioner Mary Catherine Ricker. Minnesota Matters returns after this. It's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The tourism industry has been significantly impacted and is ever-changing due to COVID-19. Navigating and surviving the pandemic has become a marathon instead of a sprint. Tasha Radel had a chance to visit with Explore Minnesota Tourism Director John Edmond about the ever-changing landscape surrounding tourism and travel. Well, John, wanted to visit with you a little bit. I know Explore Minnesota is out with uh, their latest uh, Minnesota Travel and tourism landscape of uh, how the industry has been doing since the, since the onset of COVID. Can you tell me a little bit about what uh, you're hearing and seeing? Sure. Uh, 2020 is going to turn out to be a summer tourism season unlike any other that we've experienced in a long, long time. Uh, as you probably know, our tourism industry is a $16 billion industry in terms of total sales on, on an annual basis. But since the uh, onset of the, the, the pandemic uh, this spring, we've, we've experienced huge downturns. Um, and we can actually quantify that. We used a company called Tourism Economics, and it showed that uh, rough, Minnesota has lost roughly 5 
billion dollars in travel spending in mid mid March uh, through August, and so so that's 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 a little bit alarming. But we wanted to find out a little bit more about what our industry specifically is saying. So we did a survey uh, just uh, last week to find out what lodging properties and businesses and and convention bureaus are feeling throughout the state. And what we found, and, and not too surprising, that that people are still want to get out. They, they, they're staying closer to home and they're not venturing as far. And what they're really wanting to do is to uh, social distance, to enjoy our natural resources, um, enjoy our lakes, our rivers, our trails. And as a result, we've seen some really a strong season for our resorts and campgrounds. However, when we look at hotels and motels, uh, particularly in the metro area, uh, they've seen a, a significant downturn in meeting business, convention business, uh, event business, which has really impacted uh, our, our industry overall in, in just incredibly significant ways. And when we're talking about that, uh, you know, we mentioned the downturn. Um, are people optimistic and hopeful for the fall travel season when it comes to fall colors and things like that? Well, I think that people are still going to want to get out. Uh, then they're going to want to enjoy enjoy the the, the fall colors. Uh, it actually is a season that lends itself well to things like road trips closer to home. That's what people, I think, are are going to want to do, and they're going to feel relatively safe about doing that. But if you look a little bit more broadly about consumer attitudes, there is actually a, a, a bit of concern about uh, just all of the inconsistent protocols across various states and, and, and cities. And that's causing some travelers to feel a little confused. We've seen recently a, a bit of an uptick in terms of that consumer sentiment. People are becoming a little more optimistic, but still over over half the people that, that uh, consumers that have asked about their interest in taking a, a fall trip, they're still a little bit concerned about uh, about taking taking a trip even when they want to. And John, I've worked with you over the years uh, while you've been at Explore Minnesota, and uh, you mentioned in the beginning of this broadcast that you've never seen anything like this. Have you guys had to shift the way you're marketing our state during this pandemic? Yes, we we have. We we actually initially paused our our marketing. We just felt that while we were ready for a, a spring summer tourism season, like we've had in the past, to really talk about many of the uh, product and attractions and cities and things throughout the state. We, we, we had to pause that, but then instead of getting into the hard sell, we first focused a little bit on the things that people can do, things that, um, that allow social distancing, the enjoyment of the outdoors, the trails, the fishing, the hiking, the, the golf. So we really focused on that. But a lot of it, too, was just giving people hope that if they're not ready to take a vacation trip right now that they will consider Minnesota as a as a, a possible destination, exploring the things that are close to home. And then lastly, obviously, as you mentioned, too, uh, tourism is, is just such a big economic driver in the state. Um, not to put you on the spot, but you're feeling our business owners, resort owners, are, are, are they that they're going to make it? I mean, I know we're relatively resilient here in the state. 
Well, it depends on what segment of our industry that you're talking to. Our resort and campground industry, uh, a lot of those folks that I've talked to, they're seeing a lot of repeat bookings already for 2021, so they're fairly optimistic. But if you look at a lot of our cities and a lot of those that are depending on the meetings and the conventions uh, and events, they're, they're the segment of our industry that's, that's very concerned about whether or not some of these changes are going to be permanent. Lots of good information today, John. Anything else you wanted to add? No, I, I think that, that it's really important for us in the in the jobs that we're in and uh, in, in the public to understand how how severe this situation is, particularly impacting the leisure and hospitality industry more than ever. And if they are at all thinking about getting out, we really hope that Minnesota residents support their local businesses to do everything we can to keep them uh, keep them going through this crisis so that when we get to the other side, they will be there and able to greet travelers uh, from near and from far for years to come. All right. Well, we'll leave it there, John. And as always, I thank you so much for your time. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's MN's Tasha Radel with Explore Minnesota Tourism Director John Edmund. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Requests for food assistance and hot meals from Minnesota nonprofit Loaves and Fishes reached historic levels this summer. MNN reporter J.W. Cox has the story of how they're meeting the need and support the need to keep going. Scott, Loaves and Fishes Minnesota Executive Director Kathy May says they knew demand could increase exponentially and began to put plans in place to serve more people than ever before very early in the COVID-19 crisis. We have been ramping up ever since March, um, and we've seen steady increases every single month of people who are in need and, and need nutritious, healthy, hot food. Um, and when July came and went and we closed the books, we served over 500,000 meals. Um, to give it perspective, last year we served 1.3 million meals in 12 months. So um, it is, it's, quite daunting and um, although exciting at the same time that we've been able to meet the needs. What are the stories of the people who are driving this increased need? You know, long-term unemployment has really hurt so many of our guests. We really are seeing people that are at the end of their bank accounts. Beyond that, we do serve a lot of senior citizens, and so our food becomes a way for them to stay in their homes uh, and another way for them to get nutritious food that they otherwise might not be able to cook for themselves. So those are really um, benefits that we offer. We really have also seen a lot more homelessness, more people on the streets, more people in shelters. For right now, we're looking at a long-term road. When it comes to areas of service, where in Minnesota does Loaves and Fishes focus its operations? That's what's really exciting. We have gone from Minneapolis-St. Paul-based to 12 counties. We are up in Aiken, Cass County, we're down in Lyon County, and then all around the, the Twin Cities um, into Hennepin, Scott, Ramsey. So it's exciting to be able to think and dream and grow. Uh, and, and at the same time, you know, you, you, we all have to pause and just say, how can we do better? And how can we um, 
not just help the people with food, but help them really thrive and survive through this. And, and, and we have been around JW for a long time. We've been around since the early 80s. And that really was when the state and the counties defunded the mental institutions and people became newly homeless. And we went to help them with food and we really became their meals as they figured out where to live and how to live. So do our guests. In the face of this increased demand and with expectation that it continues the rest of the year, how will loaves and fishes continue to meet that need? We're going to continue um, to, to sit down at the table with, with new partners to um, find new outlets of, of where there's poverty. We've been partnering with the YMCA since April, and that has also informed our work. You know, there are pockets of poverty that that are, are right next door to you and to me. And we need to be able to identify those pockets, to go in um, and, and flood that area with food and, and security and, and other nonprofits can, can join in along with us. And they do, because we know that food is the first thing that you need if you have seven issues and you're hungry before you can solve the next six you need to make sure that you're focused and you're satiated and that you can make clear decisions. We're getting ready for the cold weather. That's going to be different for us, Um, making sure that we have some sheltered area where people can come. Maybe there's some warmers, some heaters that they can come. And so we'll figure out how to do it. We always do. And we're excited for for meeting the need and, and hopefully making a difference in the guests that we're serving. When it comes to people listening, Kathy, what is the best way for people to get involved and help meet the needs of those served by loaves and fishes? Well, you can easily go to our website. We have uh, ways to volunteer with us, and we love volunteers. We couldn't do that without the the volunteer. And if they were all with us, it would be 34 full-time employees. So that adds gravity to the work of a volunteer. And um, we're really grateful for that. We financially need donations to make certain that we can continue to purchase the to-go and the disposables, um, that we have enough food to circulate through the system. So those are ways to help, and, and we are thankful for any way that people can help. And if you don't want to volunteer right now, we'll still be here. So, you know, we can wait until whenever you're ready. That's the best way to help. That website to find out more ways to get involved, loavesandfishesmn.org. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. 
Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As classes are set to begin at the University of Minnesota, questions remain as to when the sports season will start. MN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Golden Gopher men's basketball coach Richard Patino and junior guard Gabe Kalsher to talk about what a unique time this is. It's uh, good to finally get to connect with everybody. I mean, obviously, under such weird, weird circumstances. I mean, State Fair was always like the unofficial end of the summer. And kind of like, you know, you got excited about getting the team together and getting the season going and getting football season going and getting to see all the fans. So uh, the new normal is definitely very unique. So many unknowns, right? I mean, I I think that it's going to be exciting to get everybody, you know, safely back on campus. Um, This summer was obviously different. Everybody dealt with it, but it it was fun in, in its own unique way because it wasn't mandatory. It was all voluntary. I think that... You know, the guys that did decide to stay um, and not that we begrudge the ones that didn't come up because they had great situations as well. But it was fun to get with them and then to get the new guys. You know, I mean, I think Liam and Booth are the two that everybody asks about. We anticipate they get those waivers to play right away. It's the right thing to do. But crazier things have happened with the NCAA before. So you never know. Um, But knock on wood, they will be. And I think that if that does happen, I think we've got a really talented team. And, Coach, uh, what is kind of the short-term, then near-term, and then long-term plan for this, trying to get everyone back on campus, classes start here in a little bit, uh, freshmen move in, all that stuff, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot going on here. I don't know if I have a long-term. <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to bring them back, uh, you know, September 5th that weekend. Uh, you know, I, the biggest thing that, like, I've tried to explain to our guys is this is safety first um, for everybody. We're, we constantly, as coaches, try to tell your players that we're all connected. You know, I mean, your success helps our success. Um, we want you to do well uh, because it helps the team. It helps the program, et cetera. Well, there's nothing more important right now than for them to come back safely um, to make sure that they're following all the protocols and procedures that we've put in place. Because we really believe that if they follow those, that basketball can resume and sports can resume. Uh, but they got to trust us. They got to believe in us, um, you know, and, and I know our guys will do that. I really believe it. Um, so get them back, you know, quarantine them. Uh, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Get them tested. Make sure they understand uh, what the policies are in place for everybody. Keep everybody safe and then get to work, you know, and, and something that probably gets lost for all of us is you, know, you got to live for today. Right. You can't worry about the past. You can't focus too much on the future. You got to live for today. And that's all we have. You know, I mean, and the, this pandemic is a great reminder about that because things can get taken away from you. So uh, when they do get on campus, we're going to push them hard. We're going to get them better. Uh, we're going to get the team better, and they kind of wait and see what's next. How confident or optimistic are you that a season will happen at some point? I'm pretty confident. You know, I always thought, and again, I am not an epidemiologist. There's a lot of people that think they are. I am a basketball coach, um, and that's a, and, a, and a bad golfer. Um, but my guess is that it logically could make some sense for basketball, right? Because we have less people. Um, and when the students go off campus, there seems like there could make some sense that we could be able to proceed and play. 
here's what I do know. Our people want to play, but they're going to make the right decisions for the student athletes and everybody that's involved. Right. Um, you know, this is not something where we, you know, like I know the big 10 made a very, very tough decision with fall sports. Uh, you can criticize it, not criticize it, but I do know that they made it for the best interest of the student athletes at heart. Gabe, I wanted to ask you what your summer was like. Obviously, we were all in Indianapolis when the trapdoor kind of fell out on everything, and we were all stuck at home for a while. There were no gyms open. Um, at yeah. what point did you get to actually get back into some place where you could shoot? Did you have to do it outside? And, and how do you feel your game is now after the summer? Were you able to work on the things you, you wanted to? Yeah, for sure. Um, I really use this quarantine as, um, as a, an opportunity to get better. Um, I mean, like some people could have just sat down and um, just been uh, put their heads down and just uh, worry. But um, I took advantage of it. Um, I, I, I did some of uh, explosion um, workouts from this book uh, from Tim Grover book called uh, Jump Attack. Um, I use that. Uh, I did that in the backyard with my mom um, for like uh, nine weeks. So that was that was uh, it was a lot. But um, it definitely got me. Uh, shaped a lot um, and I also snuck into a couple of gyms uh, worked on a lot of um, uh, things I think have improved my game a whole lot so I'm, I'm very excited to how, how my game has transformed over this offseason and now that uh, for the sake of the discussion let's say the year happens the season whether it starts on time who knows but let's say we have a season uh, what, what is your impression of, of how good this team can be and and what your impact can be on the team yeah I feel like our team can be really good I love I love the size we have. Uh, we're a big team. Um, we have guards that are that could be that are bigs pretty much. They're, they're six nine, six eight long, can defend. Um, uh, we have a lot of uh, transfers coming in. Uh, hopefully, we can get waivers for them um, that can play that can help us a lot. I, lo- um, I like Liam. Um, I've seen him play um, with workouts that we've had. I've seen Booth play. Um, uh, he's he's a real deal as well. Um, I haven't seen the other guys come in yet because they they've been at home. But um, um, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of good things from coaches, so um, I'm really excited for where we are. That's Gopher guard Gabe Kalsherp, head coach Richard Patino, and MNN sports director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.